Chapter 9, Part A of The Wealth of Nations, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Book 4, Chapter 9, Part A. Of the Agricultural Systems or of those systems of political economy which represent the produce of land as either the sole or the principal source of the revenue and wealth of every country. The agricultural systems of political economy will not require so long an explanation as that which I thought it necessary to bestow upon the mercantile or commercial system. That system which represents the produce of land as the sole source of the revenue and wealth of every country, has, so far as I know, never been adopted by any nation, and it at present exists only in the speculations of a few men of great learning and ingenuity in France. It would not, surely, be worth while to examine at great length the errors of a system which never has done, and probably never will do, any harm in any part of the world. I shall endeavor to explain, however, as distinctly as I can, the great outlines of this very ingenious system. Mr. Colbert, the famous minister of Louis the Fourteenth, was a man of probity, of great industry and knowledge of detail, of great experience and acuteness in the examination of public accounts, and of abilities, in short, every way fitted for introducing method and good order into the collection and expenditure of the public revenue. That minister had unfortunately embraced all the prejudices of the mercantile system, in its nature and essence a system of restraint and regulation, and such as could scarce fail to be agreeable to a laborious and plodding man of business, who had been accustomed to regulate the different departments of public offices, and to establish the necessary checks and controls for confining each to its proper sphere. The industry and commerce of a great country he endeavored to regulate upon the same model as the departments of a public office and instead of allowing every man to pursue his own interest his own way upon the liberal plan of equality liberty and justice he bestowed upon certain branches of industry extraordinary privileges while he laid others under as extraordinary restraints he was not only disposed like other european ministers to encourage more the industry of the towns than that of the country but in order to support the industry of the towns he was willing even to depress and keep down that of the country in order to render provisions cheap to the inhabitants of the towns, and thereby to encourage manufactures and foreign commerce, he prohibited altogether the exportation of corn, and thus excluded the inhabitants of the country from every foreign market, for by far the most important part of their produce of their industry. This prohibition, joined to the restraints imposed by the ancient provincial laws of France upon the transportation of corn from one province to another, and to the arbitrary and degrading taxes which are levied upon the cultivators in almost all the provinces, discouraged and kept down the agriculture of that country very much below the state to which it would naturally have risen in so very fertile a soil and so very happy a climate. This state of discouragement and depression was felt more or less in every different part of the country, and many different inquiries were set on foot concerning the causes of it, one of those causes appeared to be the preference given by the institutions of Mr. Colbert to the industry of the towns above that of the country. If the rod be bent too much one way, says the proverb, in order to make it straight, you must bend it as much the other. 
the French philosophers, who have proposed the system which represents agriculture as the sole source of the revenue and wealth of every country, seem to have adopted this proverbial maxim. And, as in the plan of Mr. Colbert, the industry of the towns was certainly overvalued in comparison with that of the country, so in their system it seems to be as certainly undervalued. The different orders of people, who have ever been supposed to contribute in any respect towards the annual produce of the land and labor of the country, they divide into three classes. The first is the class of the proprietors of land. The second is the class of the cultivators, of farmers and country laborers, whom they honor with the peculiar appellation of the productive class. The third is the class of artificers, manufacturers, and merchants, whom they endeavor to degrade by the humiliating appellation of the barren or unproductive class. The class of proprietors contributes to the annual produce, by the expense which they may occasionally lay out upon the improvement of the land, upon the buildings, drains, enclosures, and other ameliorations, which they may either make or maintain upon it, and by means of which the cultivators are enabled, with the same capital, to raise a greater produce and consequently to pay a greater rent. This advanced rent may be considered as the interest or profit due to the proprietor, upon the expense or capital which he thus employs in the improvement of his land. Such expenses are in this system called ground expenses. The cultivators or farmers contribute to the annual produce by what are in this system called the original and annual expenses, which they lay out upon the cultivation of the land. The original expenses consist in the instruments of husbandry, in the stock of cattle, in the seed, and in the maintenance of the farmer's family, servants, and cattle, during at least a great part of the first year of his occupancy, or till he can receive some return from the land. The annual expenses consist in the seed, in the wear and tear of instruments of husbandry, and in the annual maintenance of the farmer's servants and cattle, and of his family too, so far as any part of them can be considered as servants employed in cultivation. That part of the produce of the land which remains to him after paying the rent ought to be sufficient, first, to replace to him within a reasonable time, at least during the term of his occupancy, the whole of his original expenses, together with the ordinary profits of stock, and, secondly, to replace to him annually the whole of his annual expenses, together likewise with the ordinary profits of stock. Those two sorts of expenses are two capitals which the farmer employs in cultivation, and unless they are regularly restored to him, together with a reasonable profit, he cannot carry on his employment upon a level with other employments, but, from a regard to his own interest, must desert it as soon as possible and seek some other. That part of the produce of the land which is thus necessary for enabling the farmer to continue his business ought to be considered as a fund sacred to cultivation, which, if the landlord violates, he necessarily reduces the produce of his own land, and, in a few years, not only disables the farmer from paying this racked rent, but from paying the reasonable rent which he might otherwise have got for his land. The rent which properly belongs to the landlord is no more than the neat produce which remains after paying, in the completest manner, all the necessary expenses which must be previously laid out in order to raise the gross or the whole produce. It is because the labor of the cultivators, over and above paying completely all those necessary expenses, affords a neat produce of this kind, that this class of people are in this system peculiarly distinguished by the honorable appellation of the productive class. 
their original and annual expenses are for the same reason called in this system productive expenses because over and above replacing their own value they occasion the annual reproduction of this neat produce the ground expenses as they are called or what the landlord lays out upon the improvement of his land are in this system too honoured with the appellation of productive expenses till the whole of those expenses together with the ordinary profits of stock have been completely repaid to him by the advanced rent which he gets from his land that advanced rent ought to be regarded as sacred and inviolable both by the church and by the king ought to be subject neither to tithe nor to taxation if it is otherwise by discouraging the improvement of land the church discourages the future increase of her own tithes and the king the future increase of his own taxes as in a well-ordered state of things therefore those ground expenses over and above reproducing in the completest manner their own value occasion likewise after a certain time a reproduction of a neat produce they are in this system considered as productive expenses the ground expenses of the landlord however together with the original and the annual expenses of the farmer are the only three sorts of expenses which in this system are considered as productive all other expenses and all other orders of people even those who in the common apprehensions of men are regarded as the most productive are in this account of things represented as altogether barren and unproductive artificers and manufacturers in particular whose industry in the common apprehensions of men increases so much the value of the rude produce of land are in this system represented as a class of people altogether barren and unproductive their labor it is said replaces only the stock which employs them together with its ordinary profits that stock consists in the materials tools and wages advanced to them by their employer and is the fund destined for their employment and maintenance its profits are the fund destined for the maintenance of their employer their employer as he advances to them the stock of materials tools and wages necessary for their employment so he advances to himself what is necessary for his own maintenance and this maintenance he generally proportions to the profit which he expects to make by the price of their work unless its price repays to him the maintenance which he advances to himself as well as the materials tools and wages which he advances to his workmen it evidently does not repay to him the whole expense which he lays out upon it the profits of manufacturing stock therefore are not like the rent of land a neat produce which remains after completely repaying the whole expense which must be laid out in order to obtain them the stock of the farmer yields him a profit as well as that of the master manufacturer and it yields a rent likewise to another person which that of the master manufacturer does not the expense therefore laid out in employing and maintaining artificers and manufacturers does no more than continue if one may say so the existence of its own value and does not produce any new value it is therefore altogether a barren and unproductive expense the expense on the contrary laid out in employing farmers and country labourers over and above continuing the existence of its own value produces a new value the rent of the landlord it is therefore a productive expense mercantile stock is equally barren and unproductive with manufacturing stock it only continues the existence of its own value without producing any new value its profits are only the repayment of the maintenance which its employer advances to himself during the time that he employs it or till he receives the returns of it 
they are only the repayment of a part of the expense which must be laid out in employing it the labor of artificers and manufacturers never adds anything to the value of the whole annual amount of the rude produce of the land it adds indeed greatly to the value of some particular parts of it but the consumption which in the meantime it occasions of other parts is precisely equal to the value which it adds to those parts so that the value of the whole amount is not at any one moment of time in the least augmented by it the person who works the lace of a pair of fine ruffles for example will sometimes raise the value of perhaps a pennyworth of flax to thirty pounds sterling but though at first sight he appears thereby to multiply the value of a part of the rude produce about seven thousand and two hundred times he in reality adds nothing to the value of the whole annual amount of the rude produce the working of that lace costs him perhaps two years labor the thirty pounds which he gets for it when it is finished is no more than the repayment of the subsistence which he advances to himself during the two years that he is employed about it the value which by every day's months or years labor he adds to the flax does no more than replace the value of his own consumption during that day month or year at no moment of time therefore does he add anything to the value of the whole annual amount of the rude produce of the land the portion of that produce which he is continually consuming being always equal to the value which he is continually producing the extreme poverty of the greater part of the persons employed in this expensive though trifling manufacture may satisfy us that the price of their work does not in ordinary cases exceed the value of their subsistence it is otherwise with the work of farmers and country labourers the rent of the landlord is a value which in ordinary cases it is continually producing over and above replacing in the most complete manner the whole consumption the whole expense laid out upon the employment and maintenance both of the workmen and of their employer artificers manufacturers and merchants can augment the revenue and wealth of their society by parsimony only or as it is expressed in the system by privation that is by depriving themselves of a part of the funds destined for their own subsistence they annually reproduce nothing but those funds unless therefore they annually save some part of them unless they annually deprive themselves of the enjoyment of some part of them the revenue and wealth of their society can never be in the smallest degree augmented by means of their industry farmers and country labourers on the contrary may enjoy completely the whole funds destined for their own subsistence and yet augment at the same time the revenue and wealth of their society over and above what is destined for their own subsistence their industry annually affords a neat produce of which the augmentation necessarily augments the revenue and wealth of their society nations therefore which like france or england consists in a great measure of proprietors and cultivators can be enriched by industry and employment nations on the contrary which like holland and hamburg are composed chiefly of merchants artificers and manufacturers can grow rich only through parsimony and privation as the interest of nations so differently circumstanced is very different so is likewise the common character of the people in those of the former kind liberality frankness and good-fellowship naturally make a part of their common character in the latter narrowness meanness and a selfish disposition averse to all social pleasure and enjoyment the unproductive class that of merchants 
artificers and manufacturers is maintained and employed altogether at the expense of the two other classes of that of proprietors and of that of cultivators they furnish it both with the materials of its work and with the fund of its subsistence with the corn and cattle which it consumes while it is employed about that work the proprietors and cultivators finally pay both the wages of all the workmen of the unproductive class and the profits of all their employers those workmen and their employers are properly the servants of the proprietors and cultivators they are only servants who work without doors as menial servants work within but the one and the other however are equally maintained at the expense of the same masters the labor of both is equally unproductive it adds nothing to the value of the sum total of the rude produce of the land instead of increasing the value of that sum total it is a charge and expense which must be paid out of it the unproductive class however is not only useful but greatly useful to the other two classes by means of the industry of merchants artificers and manufacturers the proprietors and cultivators can purchase both the foreign goods and the manufactured produce of their own country which they have occasion for with the produce of a much smaller quantity of their own labor than what they would be obliged to employ if they were to attempt in an awkward and unskilful manner either to import the one or to make the other for their own use by means of the unproductive class the cultivators are delivered from many cares which would otherwise distract their attention from the cultivation of land the superiority of produce which in consequence of this undivided attention they are enabled to raise is fully sufficient to pay the whole expense which the maintenance and employment of the unproductive class costs either the proprietors or themselves the industry of merchants artificers and manufacturers though in its own nature altogether unproductive yet contributes in this manner indirectly to increase the produce of the land it increases the productive powers of productive labor by leaving it at liberty to confine itself to its proper employment the cultivation of land and the plough goes frequently the easier and the better by means of the labor of the man whose business is most remote from the plough it can never be the interest of the proprietors and cultivators to restrain or to discourage in any respect the industry of merchants artificers and manufacturers the greater the liberty which this unproductive class enjoys the greater will be the competition in all the different trades which compose it and the cheaper will the other two classes be supplied both with foreign goods and with the manufactured produce of their own country it can never be the interest of the unproductive class to oppress the other two classes it is the surplus produce of the land or what remains after deducting the maintenance first of the cultivators and afterwards of the proprietors that maintains and employs the unproductive class the greater this surplus the greater must likewise be the maintenance and employment of that class the establishment of perfect justice of perfect liberty and of perfect equality is the very simple secret which most effectually secures the highest degree of prosperity to all the three classes the merchants artificers and manufacturers of those mercantile states which like holland and hamburg consist chiefly of this unproductive class are in the same manner maintained and employed altogether at the expense of the proprietors and cultivators of land 
The only difference is, that these proprietors and cultivators are, the greater part of them, placed at a most inconvenient distance from the merchants, artificers, and manufacturers, whom they supply with the materials of their work and the fund of their subsistence, are the inhabitants of other countries, and the subjects of other governments. Such mercantile states, however, are not only useful, but greatly useful, to the inhabitants of those other countries. They fill up, in some measure, a very important void, and supply the place of the merchants, artificers, and manufacturers, whom the inhabitants of those countries ought to find at home, but whom, from some defect in their policy, they do not find at home. It can never be the interest of those landed nations, if I may call them so, to discourage or distress the industry of such mercantile states, by imposing high duties upon their trade, or upon the commodities which they furnish. Such duties, by rendering those commodities dearer, could serve only to sink the real value of the surplus produce of their own land, with which, or what comes to the same thing, with the price of which, those commodities are purchased. Such duties could only serve to discourage the increase of that surplus produce, and consequently the improvement and cultivation of their own land. The most effectual expedient, on the contrary, for raising the value of that surplus produce, for encouraging its increase, and consequently the improvement and cultivation of their own land, would be to allow the most perfect freedom to the trade of all such mercantile nations. This perfect freedom of trade would even be the most effectual expedient for supplying them, in due time, with all the artificers, manufacturers, and merchants whom they wanted at home, and for filling up, in the properest and most advantageous manner, that very important void which they felt there. The continual increase of the surplus produce of their land would, in due time, create a greater capital than what would be employed with the ordinary rate of profit in the improvement and cultivation of land, and the surplus part of it would naturally turn itself to the employment of artificers and manufacturers at home. But these artificers and manufacturers, finding at home both the materials of their work and the fund of their subsistence, might immediately, even with much less art and skill, be able to work as cheap as the little artificers and manufacturers of such mercantile states, who had both to bring from a greater distance. Even though, from want of art and skill, they might not for some time be able to work as cheap, yet, finding a market at home, they might be able to sell their work there as cheap as that of the artificers and manufacturers of such mercantile states, which could not be brought to that market, but from so great a distance, and as their art and skill improved, they would soon be able to sell it cheaper. The artificers and manufacturers of such mercantile states, therefore, would immediately be rivaled in the market of those landed nations, and soon after undersold and jostled out of it altogether. The cheapness of the manufacturers of those landed nations, in consequence of the gradual improvements of art and skill, would, in due time, extend their sale beyond the home market, and carry them to many foreign markets, from which they would, in the same manner, gradually jostle out many of the manufacturers of such mercantile nations. This continual increase, both of the rude and manufactured produce of those landed nations, would, in due time, create a greater capital than could, with the ordinary rate of profit, be employed either in agriculture or in manufactures. The surplus of this capital would naturally turn itself to foreign trade, and be employed in exporting, to foreign countries, such parts of the rude and manufactured produce of its own country, as exceeded the demand of the home market. 
in the exportation of the produce of their own country the merchants of a landed nation would have an advantage of the same kind over those of mercantile nations which its artificers and manufacturers had over the artificers and manufacturers of such nations the advantage of finding at home that cargo and those stores and provisions which the others were obliged to seek for at a distance with inferior art and skill in navigation therefore they would be able to sell that cargo as cheap in foreign markets as the merchants of such mercantile nations and with equal art and skill they would be able to sell it cheaper they would soon therefore rival those mercantile nations in this branch of foreign trade and in due time would jostle them out of it altogether according to this liberal and generous system therefore the most advantageous method in which a landed nation can raise up artificers manufacturers and merchants of its own is to grant the most perfect freedom of trade to the artificers manufacturers and merchants of all other nations it thereby raises the value of the surplus produce of its own land of which the continual increase gradually establishes a fund which in due time necessarily raises up all the artificers manufacturers and merchants whom it has occasion for when a landed nation on the contrary oppresses either by high duties or by prohibitions the trade of foreign nations it necessarily hurts its own interest in two different ways first by raising the price of all foreign goods and of all sorts of manufactures it necessarily sinks the real value of the surplus produce of its own land with which or what comes to the same thing with the price of which it purchases those foreign goods and manufactures secondly by giving a sort of monopoly of the home market to its own merchants artificers and manufacturers it raises the rate of mercantile and manufacturing profit in proportion to that of agricultural profit and consequently either draws from agriculture a part of the capital which had before been employed in it or hinders from going to it a part of what would otherwise have gone to it this policy therefore discourages agriculture in two different ways first by sinking the real value of its produce and thereby lowering the rate of its profits and secondly by raising the rate of profit in all other employments agriculture is rendered less advantageous and trade and manufactures more advantageous than they otherwise would be and every man is tempted by his own interest to turn as much as he can both his capital and his industry from the former to the latter employments though by the suppressive policy a landed nation should be able to raise up artificers manufacturers and merchants of its own somewhat sooner than it could do by the freedom of trade a matter however which is not a little doubtful yet it would raise them up if one may say so prematurely and before it was perfectly ripe for them by raising up too hastily one species of industry it would depress another more valuable species of industry by raising up too hastily a species of industry which duly replaces the stock which employs it together with the ordinary profit it would depress a species of industry which over and above replacing that stock with its profit affords likewise a neat produce a free rent to the landlord it would depress productive labor by encouraging too hastily that labor which is altogether barren and unproductive in what manner according to this system the sum total of the annual produce of the land is distributed among the three classes above mentioned and in what manner the labor of the unproductive class does no more than replace the value of its own consumption without increasing in any respect the value of that sum total is represented by mr kesney 
the very ingenious and profound author of this system, in some arithmetical formularies. The first of these formularies, which, by way of eminence, he peculiarly distinguishes by the name of the economical table, represents the manner in which he supposes this distribution takes place, in a state of the most perfect liberty, and therefore of the highest prosperity, in a state where the annual produce is such as to afford the greatest possible neat produce, and where each class enjoys its proper share of the whole annual produce. Some subsequent formularies represent the manner in which he supposes this distribution is made in different states of restraint and regulation, in which either the class of proprietors or the barren and unproductive class is more favored than the class of cultivators, and in which either the one or the other encroaches, more or less, upon the share which ought properly to belong to this productive class. Every such encroachment, every violation of that natural distribution which the most perfect liberty would establish, must, according to this system, necessarily degrade, more or less, from one year to another, the value and sum total of the annual produce, and must necessarily occasion a gradual declension in the real wealth and revenue of the society, a declension of which the progress must be quicker or slower, according to the degree of this encroachment, according as that natural distribution which the most perfect liberty would establish is more or less violated those subsequent formularies represent the different degrees of declension which according to this system correspond to the different degrees in which this natural distribution of things is violated some speculative physicians seem to have imagined that the health of the human body could be preserved only by a certain precise regimen of diet and exercise of which every the smallest violation necessarily occasions some degree of disease or disorder proportionate to the degree of the violation experience however would seem to show that the human body frequently preserves to all appearance at least the most perfect state of health under a vast variety of different regimens even under some which are generally believed to be very far from being perfectly wholesome. But the healthful state of the human body, it would seem, contains in itself some unknown principle of preservation, capable either of preventing or of correcting in many respects the bad effects even of a very faulty regimen. Mr. Kesney, who was himself a physician, and a very speculative physician, seems to have entertained a notion of the same kind concerning the political body, and to have imagined that it would thrive and prosper only under a certain precise regimen, the exact regimen of perfect liberty and perfect justice. He seems not to have considered that in the political body the natural effort which every man is continually making to better his own condition is a principle of preservation capable of preventing and correcting in many respects the bad effects of a political economy, in some degree both partial and oppressive. Such a political economy, though it no doubt retards more or less, is not always capable of stopping altogether the natural progress of a nation towards wealth and prosperity and still less of making it go backwards. If a nation could not prosper without the enjoyment of perfect liberty and perfect justice, there is not in the world a nation which could ever have prospered. In the political body, however, the wisdom of nature has fortunately made ample provision for remedying many of the bad effects of the folly and injustice of man, in the same manner as it has done in the natural body, for remedying those of a sloth and intemperance. End of Book 4, Chapter 9, Part A